Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is the creator of the music business toolbox, Brian Calhoun. First of all, pop music seems to have a features problem. Well, what I mean by that is there's a song, it's by an artist featuring another artist. And of course, this is happening more and more these days. But the problem is, it may not be to the advantage of anyone for that to happen. Now, this is something that artists have done for a long, long time in order to cross over into another genre or introduce an artist into a genre that they're not currently in. An example that comes to mind is Run DMC with Aerosmith, which was a good thing for both artists. And now we're finding this more and more Of course, electronic artists have been doing this for a long time. David Jetta featuring and a whole list of singers that he's used. And electronic artists do this all the time, mostly because they're not performers themselves. They're producers. Well, what's happening now is we have pop artists like Maroon 5 featuring Future and Katy Perry featuring Migos and Nicki Minaj and Selena Gomez featuring Gucci Mane. So... A lot of pop artists are using rappers, and rappers have been really into it because they're getting paid a lot of dough, anywhere between twenty-five and $100,000. So who wouldn't want a big payday? But increasingly, rappers and R&B stars don't want to do this. And one of the reasons why is they don't have to anymore because hip-hop and R&B now dominates the charts at about 25%. Pop is only 13%. And rock, of course, is way, way down there. So what we're finding is hip-hop artists don't need the visibility from another artist because they have plenty themselves. And to make matters worse, what's happening is a lot of these songs are not even making the charts, or if they make the charts, they never go very high. So this is hurting everybody. It's hurting the pop artists, and it's hurting the rap artists. And one of the reasons for that is just to have a rapper come on your record and do their thing isn't really representing what the rapper is, because let's face it, a lot of the coolness of rap and hip-hop are the beats. But in fact, if you can't incorporate those beats, then you're losing a lot of the attractiveness. So that's one of the reasons why rappers are kind of scratching their head and thinking, "Mm, it's not a, a really good idea. The other thing for pop artists now, a lot of this feels forced. As a result, what they're finding is radio is actually rejecting these songs that feature a hip hop artist. One of the reasons why is they can't quite figure out how to categorize it. Is it pop? Is it hip hop? So as a result, it's nothing. Even on streaming, this is starting to happen where it's hard to really put it into a genre. Once upon a time, that was very attractive, and now it isn't. So I was diluting the message for both. So I think in the future, we're going to see less and less of this happening because it's not really helping anybody by doing it. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. The second edition of my social media promotion for musicians handbook is now available on Amazon, iBooks, Ingram, and a bookstore near you. It's the manual for marketing yourself, your band, and your music online, and it covers how to use virtually every important online platform for promotion. Also, you might want to check out my courses at bobbyosinskicourses, all one word, dot com. Now let's talk about high-res audio. 
Eventually, all streaming is going to go to high res, but the question is when? I've been predicting it for quite some time now, and it hasn't come to pass as quickly as I would have expected. First of all, what is high res? The way it's defined today is anything that's more than 16-bit. So in other words, even if you have a 44.1 24-bit file, that's considered high resolution. In other words, anything higher than CD quality is considered high resolution. Now for me and many others, we consider high resolution starting at 96K. So if you have 9624, then in fact that's high resolution or even higher for that matter. All that being said, it's interesting because there's only a few places where you can get it online right now. The one major one is Tidal Masters. So if you're a Tidal user, you have to pay $19.99 a month in order to get the Tidal Masters and be able to listen to high-res music. The real problem is there's only about 30,000 tracks there as compared to 30 million on most music streaming services. Interesting thing here is Apple has been collecting high-resolution tracks. They've been asking the record labels for 9624 master files since 2012. So they got plenty of tracks available. They're just not releasing them. There's a couple of formats right now that are free that are high-resolution. And the big one is FLAC, F-L-A-C, which stands for Free Lossless Audio Codec. There's another one, and that's a proprietary Apple codec. It's ALAC, Apple Lossless Audio Codec. However, the record labels actually want to use something called MQA, or Master Quality Authenticated, which is all well and good, except the problem is that you need proprietary hardware and software to play it. In one way, this is actually a good thing, because really, many people can't hear the difference between an MP3 and a high-resolution FLAC file, mostly because they don't have the equipment in order to take advantage of it. So for instance, unless you're listening on a really good set of headphones and you have a player that has a great digital audio converter or DAC, then you might not hear the difference. So one of the things MQA does bring us is the fact that you do have to at least get a good player that's going to have a good DAC in it. Apple has gone ahead and taken it a step further, actually. One of the reasons why there's no headphone jack on the new iPhones is the fact that now they're making you go to Bluetooth and they have these new headsets and new earbuds that have high quality DACs built in. So this is actually going to be a good thing in time. But once again, what's going to drive this is the fact that there has to be hardware in order for the software, in order for the high-res music to actually work. I think that we're going to see the floodgates open soon. Now, when is that going to be? I'd like to think it's going to be sometime in 2018. Can't say for sure. All I know is Apple has a load of high-res files in their catalog, and this is part of their Mastered for iTunes program that, of course, every record label has taken part in in the last five years. So prepare yourself for that, but let's keep our fingers crossed that people can actually hear the difference. My guest today is Brian Calhoun, who's worked on business and marketing for artists like Kanye West, Lil Wayne, The Cult, Questlove, Nicki Minaj, and Drake, among many others. He's also given workshops at industry conferences like South by Southwest, Meet'em, New Music Seminar, CMJ, and over 20 more. He's also the creator of an excellent tool for artists and bands everywhere called the Music Business Toolbox. I spoke with him via Skype, where we talked about the current state of the music business. I'm always interested in 
people's stories about how they get into the business. So what's yours? <laughs> I was uh, at the University of Georgia and I was a finance major. Uh, I got an internship at uh, the corporate planning department at Bell South. And I think the most valuable lesson that I learned there was that I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, I was a, was a big music fan um, and uh, started working with the university systems. Uh, there's an organization with, for student programming and I was able to work with other students and faculty advisor and uh, was able to get involved with booking concerts for students through the university uh, and got involved with the radio station WUOG and it's like, wow, this is this is kind of cool. It'd be fun to work around this and work in this field. And so I just started focusing my energy uh, on that. So you're focusing your energy on that, but everybody has to break in somewhere. So where was that for you? Yeah. So uh, I actually go back to the University of Georgia because uh, when I was uh, I, I learned a lot about how you to produce an event there, we had uh, uh quite a bit of autonomy uh to to do what we wanted to do in terms of like booking artists and so forth and well and, and we had great insight into it the the school was really good about sharing information so you know i would read you know i would actually see the the contracts that the school did with the the artists and uh so i would you know read them and learn about what what it meant and you know looked at the technical riders and the hospitality riders and then we were there for load in and load out uh, so we were, you know, really, you know, uh, involved and it was, you know, from our, you know, we had Pearl Jam and, uh, Bob Dylan and, uh, Delight and some really big artists and, you know, having that level of, 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 of involvement was great. And, uh, when I suggested that we bring Tribe Called Quest to the school and the faculty advisor was like, all right, great. Give, uh, give the agent a call. And so, you know, here I was, you know, 19 years old calling, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, a booking agent for, you know, a national recording artist and, uh, you know, negotiating the deal. And, you know, it was obviously done under their advisement uh, and with their help and support. And, of course, uh, you know, I had the, the school, who obviously the booking agency had a relationship with already. Uh, so they knew that it was legit, <laughs> but, uh, that was the, that was really how I got started and had the ability to learn. And then, uh, a couple of friends of mine and I, uh, a couple of my fraternity brothers, we, we were producing events for our fraternity, um, on and around campus. Uh, we thought that we should, uh, start produce, producing events on our own. And, uh, the three of us, uh, so Alfred, Jay and myself, uh, we, booked we started booking national recording artists and we started with uh, cypress hill who at the time it just had their first gold album uh but hadn't been to atlanta and we were able to uh, leverage our tuition money for the next semester and put it up and we booked them and brought them to atlanta and that was our first real big show and it was great it was a huge success uh you know going back at the you know at the time this was in 1992 there were uh there was uh, uh 91 or 92, there was um, not uh, a lot of will uh, on behalf of uh, promoters and venues to bring the pop artists 
in. And so there was a bit of an opening for us because that was we were into and we rented out a venue and did it. And uh, it was a great success. And we booked a number of other shows. It was funny. Our very next show was a huge disaster. We lost a ton of money after we just made a bunch of money. Uh, it was a great lesson um, that we persisted. And then uh, I, I realized that, that, that the event production, event promotion was um, was a really challenging thing if you didn't own the venue or have sponsors. And you, because if you were only making money off of ticket sales, it's, it's, a, it's a very tough business. Yeah. Uh, not making money off of the bar or, uh, you know, have some kind of corporate sponsor involved to, to cover the costs and, uh, you know, limit your risk. It's a very tough business. And uh, started, but it really, it, I started developing relationships from that. I started developing relationships with the record labels who all wanted to support the shows when their artists were in town. So that was a great um, way for me to start and uh, started doing street promotions from that because they're like, oh, this guy kind of knows some stuff and, you know, he, he can do some kind of low level grunt work promotion stuff for us. And uh, that turned into me doing that for a number of different labels uh, around the Atlanta area after I got out of college. Uh, I was also DJing and um, I was uh, DJing in Atlanta at uh, a, a community radio station and doing clubs and parties and stuff as well. <clears throat> and then leveraged that ultimately into getting uh, a job doing A&R at Relativity Records a few years later uh, after a few years of kind of just, uh, you know, doing, you know, street promotions and event promotions and uh, DJing. So. Uh, and then, you know, kind of from A&R, you know, did, you know, had some success there and uh, moved to New York working with Relativity Records and went on to work at Red uh, Red Distribution and helped them set up the uh, Red Urban Music Marketing Division, which was a, uh, a part of the organization that helped uh, independent uh, urban labels kind of navigate the uh, uh, that navigated big distribution system, which Red was uh, and still is. Yeah, uh, and um, you know it was great. Lots of hands-on experience. I was also very aggressive about trying to learn too. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was, um, if you really want to know how business works, follow the money, <laughs> and um, and uh, and and take the finance guys out for lunch and take them out for drinks and be, you know become friends with those guys. It was great, great piece of advice. And, uh, I, I don't, I didn't realize it until much later how, how good it was, but, uh, it was funny because, you know, I would be the, you know, I was out with the artists and, you know, in the studio and the people wanted to talk, I was like, Oh, he's the A&R guy. And, you know, so I kind of had, uh, you know, that little cachet, but I, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't really kind of like, my world. I didn't really embrace that. I was more interested in learning about the numbers. And mm. so like, I would be happy to go and share my kind of like, you know, war stories of, you know, trying to get records delivered and crazy stuff that would happen on the road and, uh, and say, yeah, that's cool. But, uh, can you tell me how the mechanical royalties work? How we do the pay, how are the payments made on that? And tell me about the three quarter rate and why do people agree? I just like all of these types of things, you know, so talking with like the, the the A and R admin people and, and and with the finance folks and 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 legal, uh, it just helped me really gain a better understanding of the business. Uh, so that was where we kind of go, and then I went on and did some other stuff. But that was really how I got in. Wow, that's a lot. I looked at your resume, or actually your about page, and you've done so much, and you've done so much from 
inside a corporate level and on an indie level and, and on a personal level, how would you describe yourself? I would describe myself as an artist advocate first. Um, I feel like there are smart people with a lot of resources generally looking out for the interests of the corporations and the business. Um, and I feel, a I don't know, a sense of, I don't know, maybe it's a sense of duty, but an affinity towards the artists and the independent labels and want to make sure that, uh, they get their fair shake. Even when I'm working with inside, um, the, the, you know, large corporations, um, I, I like to be able to be the voice in the room that is like, Hey, you know, how does this, how's this going to impact the artist community? How's this going to impact the, the, the artists that we're working with, the musicians, the writers, how, how's this going to impact them? And whether it, that's, um, in my roles that I've had at sound exchange or working with, um, large media companies like, uh, like Apple or, um, Pandora, Microsoft, or, uh, you know, or, or within record labels, even, you know, it's like, you know, obviously, you know, working at a record label, your, you know, your boss is the, the label, but I, I also wanted to be able to feel good about, uh, what I was doing when I worked with the artist and, um, <clears throat> working with, uh, and the future of music coalition, uh, is a organization that I worked with really, uh, I was on the board for a number of years and, helped uh, shape that and, and form that some, but I felt a bit of a kinship with them when um, I first read about the organization and their uh, mission to further the musician's middle class, which is something that uh, I... Well, yeah, about. the middle class is being decimated, kind of like the middle class in America in general. You know, I look at it and I think, this is a bad thing, and I look at it on the other hand and say, well, this is an evolution. Things are always changing in the music business and you just have to learn how to roll with it. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I think it's a bit more challenging now. Uh, I think there's certainly more opportunities now, which is really great. Um, the same tools that the biggest artists in the world have, uh, now the independent artist has. You can all have... Um, Facebook and Snapchat and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and uh, Pandora amp you, you everybody has access to these tools now which is great uh, the challenge is having enough of a, a knowledge base and understanding of them to effectively leverage them on your behalf so that's where it becomes where there is an advantage for the the artists who have sort of like the big teams with uh, the experienced people uh, supporting them and helping guide them through the process. Uh, so uh, part of what I wanted to do was was with uh, with the music business toolbox was give people the information and the tools that they need to be able to execute. Um, so it, it, it's tough for sure. There's a lot more to know about but you also have a lot more access and ability to execute on your own. You know, one of the problems though, is the fact that you have to have the capital in order to take advantage of a lot of the features that you have to leverage on those platforms, if you know what I mean. And, and I think the misconception is you can just be on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, whatever the case, any you know social platform, and just being there is going to do it for you but that's not really the case, is it? 
it is definitely not the case. I mean, you have to have a plan. You have to actually do something. Um, you, you, yeah, you can't just be there and, and expect people to come. Uh, so uh, fortunately, access to capital isn't, is, it, you don't need as much capital as you did 10, 15 years ago when, you know, to, to, to release, to record a record, to release a record, to market a record. Uh, it still takes some, absolutely, for sure. Uh, you know, you still have to record record your project, and then you know you need to reserve money to be able to to market it. And it does take money to do some of those things. Uh, but you know, you you can put a budget together and do something for ten thousand dollars for everything, uh, or or even less. I mean, obviously you can take baby baby steps. Um, but you know, I can remember spending ten fifteen thousand dollars a day day in a recording studio. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, back, you know, uh, sort of back in, in you know, uh, and, you know, so that just made it just really, really out of reach for, for almost everybody, except for the people who really had real deep pockets or access to the companies that were willing to put the money up. Um, but you do have to be careful about what you spend your money on, how you spend it, make sure you don't make mistakes. Don't, you know, it's, it's very frustrating for me to see you know, frequently these consultants who will sort of latch on to some, you know, some very well-intentioned uh, independent artist or label and, uh, you know, promise to, you know, help them with their, uh, you know, achieve their goals and their dreams and really just end up taking their money. Um, it's uh, unfortunately as the there's been all this consolidation with the labels uh there are a lot of people without jobs and just because somebody has worked at one of the big record labels for years you know maybe even decades doesn't mean that there's someone that can guide you through the process of releasing your independent um project uh it, you know if you're the best promoter you know best rock radio promoter in the Pacific Northwest and you've done that for 30 years, just because you've done that for 30 years doesn't mean you know how to release a record. It means you know how to do that one very narrow thing in in in, in the music industry. And I, I've seen a lot of those people tell independent artists, oh, you need $50,000 or $100,000 or whatever this number, this number is. They take that money and spend just totally mismanage it. And then the artist has blown all the money that they have. They haven't really achieved anything. And the, 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 the former major label executive turned consultant then blames them for not having enough money to do what needs to be done. So yes, having capital is important, but spending it, allocating it in the right way is even more important. Now, on the other hand, what's interesting is if you do have some measure of success and have that capital, now you can actually go to label services and, and buy record label services. Or, That's right. And you never could do that before. So, in fact, you can yeah. get all of the expertise. It's going to cost you some dough, but you can get it without selling your soul, which is kind of nice. But again, right. you have to realize that that's there and have enough money to be able to utilize it. And, and you know, that's the rub. I, I don't think enough people understand they can do that. I, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, a lot of the things that the labels did are essentially have been commoditized. You can, you know, you can just 
pay for distribution. You can pay for marketing services. Um, you know, it, when, when you're looking at building your team and putting the, uh, the people around you, uh, some of them are going to be willing to work for a percentage of income. Some of them are going to require that you pay them a flat fee or a monthly fee or, or, or whatever it is. But a, a lot of those things that you know, were handled by a label before per se, you, you can, you can outsource now to somebody. Now here's a question for you, Brian, we're down to three major labels and the way I look at it is they're never going to go away just from the standpoint that what they're good at is taking a star and making them a superstar. And it's hard to recreate that to reinvent the wheel. They already have the infrastructure there, but, and that's what they're really good at. And they're not necessarily good at some of the other things that, you know, fall into the do it yourself category. That being said, do you have a vision for what the record label of the future is going to look like? Uh, yes, I think that that's, that's great. Uh, the record label of the future is, I mean, there should be thousands and thousands of them. It's the, it's, taking control of your own destiny and your, I tell people when you, if you put your record out, you are a record label, but being able to do it on your own. And you've, I'm sure you've heard this before and your listeners have probably heard this before, you know, doing it yourself does not mean doing it alone. Uh, and putting the right team together, as I referenced earlier is really, really important. Uh, so there, I think there's going to be all different types of record labels, but the ones that I'm most excited about are the ones where the artist is their own record label and maybe they help, you know, so they put out their own releases, but they're putting out the releases. Maybe they're helping with some of their friends or a few other things that they're passionate about, but they're, they're small, they're nimble. Uh, they, uh, uh, you know, they can be very, very niche, uh, and they have, like you said, like you, you hire the people around you that you need when you need them. It doesn't necessarily even mean you need to have like an, an office on, you know, Madison Avenue or you, you don't need that. You can work out of your place and bring in the, uh, the teams and the support systems that you will need at the times that you need them. Did you see the announcement about United Masters yesterday? I did. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's a great part of the evolution of of this, and I think that that is part of helping realize the vision that I that I just referenced, where there's many many labels, and uh, you know, it looks like they're going to be offering services that are going to be really beneficial to uh, to, <clears throat> to artists at you know at all levels. Uh, aggregating data, you know, using data more effectively to help you uh, make informed decisions is a really big part of the future. Certainly the big labels are doing it. They have data scientists, you know, on staff now. Um, it's, it's a much bigger part of the, uh, of the equation and, uh, helping democratize that and, uh, find your super fans and help extract the maximum value out of your fans as possible possible. And that sounds kind of like cold and analytical, but like you want to know who your super fans are um, so that you can separate the people who 
are going to listen to you on a, maybe on YouTube or a streaming service. So you can make pennies from those people. But how do you find the person who's willing to spend a hundred bucks for a meet and greet and some signed stuff from you and helping you find those people and develop and make the, the, the connections with them that can last for a long time so that you can sort of always go back to those people uh, and, and, and grow that base as well. So I'm, I'm excited about anyone who is helping further that cause. You have a good feel for what's going on in, in the DIY area here. Where do you feel there are holes or problems in that whole evolution of it? Uh, I think that really, I think that there, there's been this, there's this misperception out there that you can just put your record out there and that that's it. It's, it's like putting your record out there is enough. It's like, you know, the, the, it's, it's a big world. There's a tremendous amount of competition and this, the notion that you can just put your record out and find success is, is not the case. It takes a tremendous amount of work and effort and energy. Uh, I, I think that pulling all of the pieces together and having a clear understanding of how all of the parts work together, what are the actual revenue streams? What is the flow of money uh, uh, through? Like, how do you get paid from a download versus an interactive stream versus a non-interactive stream uh, on your sound recording versus how you're generating revenue as a writer and a publisher and leveraging your brand for merch and performances and like understanding all of the different components, how the money flows to you so that you can focus your energies in, in the right place. Um, understanding like metadata and the importance of it. Um, I think those are all really, really important pieces and, and effective budgeting uh, I, I think is also a really, really uh, big challenge in the in the uh, in the in the DIY community, uh, especially there is uh, the probably the biggest mistake that I see DIY artists make is the way they allocate the money that they have, uh, and I, I've seen it over and over again. And it just like man, it just it just kills me to see this when an artist will save five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars or. 25,000 or whatever that number is. And like, I'm going to do this record. I'm going to make it happen. And I'm going to put my, you know, I've saved, it's taken me, you know, you know, all this time, but I've saved this 20 grand and I'm going to do it. And then they'll spend, you know, if they've got, if they've saved up, let's say they've saved up $10,000, they'll spend $9,500 to record the record. They'll do it in the best studio that they can. They'll use the best engineers and 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 uh, studio musicians and everything that they can. And then they leave five hundred dollars for everything else. And then they put their record out, and nothing happens. And the reason nothing happens is because they haven't done what it takes to be able to help break their record and and take it to the take it to the people. It's really very, you know, frustrating and heartbreaking for me to see sometimes and. You know, if you think about it, no industry works like that. You know, when a pharmaceutical company spends a billion dollars in R&D to develop a new drug, you know, they don't just do it. And it's like, oh, we spent a billion dollars and this drug is great. And it, you know, whatever does whatever it's supposed to do. They then spend billions of dollars marketing it or 
you know, uh, a car is developed and, you know, they spend time and energy and research and, and do testing and develop and build this great car. And then they have a giant marketing campaign around it. The major record labels do the same thing. They'll record records and they'll spend, you know, sometimes they'll still spend, you know, quite a bit of money to record these records, but then they're going to turn around and spend money marketing it. And DIY artists over and over and over again, spend all of the money that they have to create a project and save nothing for the the marketing portion of it. Yeah, but I'm going to put my artist hat on for a second here. I can tell you that one of the big problems is the fact that most artists that are like that aren't aware of what they have to do, even though there's plenty of, right. of information out there about this. You know, artists just want to create. That's it. They want to do their music and there's a few of them that are well-rounded and really take the marketing seriously and they'll do whatever they have to do. But I think the vast majority of them, you know, would rather someone else do that for them. And the problem is, I think a lot of them don't know where to go to get that help that they really need. I know you try to actually educate them and, and I try to as well, but a lot of times that it's not enough. Yeah, it is. And it's unfortunate that, that people are going to keep making that mistake. And, you know, I, it's why I, I preach this and encourage it that you, you know, if, if that is your, what you would like to do, if you're just like, Hey, look, I just want to be an artist. That's great. If you have, you know, if you just want to make your record and you want to make the best record you can, you're going to, if you save 10 grand and you're going to put all 10 grand in the recording and to making the best possible recording you can look, if you have no, you know, uh, uh, no aspirations beyond just your friends and family, you know, hearing it. That's awesome. That's great. I mean, like if that you want to do it and that's your hobby and uh, awesome, fantastic. But if you plan to make it into a business and you want people outside of the people that you personally know to, to, to be able to hear it, then you have to figure out some kind of a strategy to do that. And maybe it's hiring the right person to do it. Um, but you just have to be realistic. And, and I try to help people manage their expectations uh, around the whole thing. So if you just want to be an artist, that's awesome. If you just want to be an artist and you don't want uh, and you have no, uh, uh, you know, aspirations beyond your friends and family hearing it. Great. Just make it for them and spend as much as you want to spend all your money on it. That's great. But if you do want people outside of them to hear it, then you need to figure out a plan. And if that plan is, you know, if that means, hiring somebody to do it, then you just need to make sure that you build that into your budget. You don't spend all your money to make your record. Tell me about the music business toolbox. Sure. Uh, the, the music business toolbox was actually sort of born out of, out of that, uh, that we were just talking about. Um, I, I had built some software for, uh, independent labels to manage their finances, to do, to do, uh, different types of analysis around the, the releases, projections, cash flow, profitability, break-even analysis, um, uh, that kind of thing. And I was working with uh, this one independent label, and we did some really detailed analysis on where they were with their label. And this was a guy who had quite a bit of money and was helping his son uh, who wanted a record label. And they had spent 750 grand to get their label going and were kind of nowhere with it. And um, I think he was, I think he finally got to the point where he was a bit frustrated by all the money that he had spent and wasn't seeing a return. So when we kind of like helped him put his numbers together and saw the, um, you know, sort of saw, you know, what he would have to sell to break even and, and all this and had a better understanding of it, 
it was great and he was super appreciative. But then what happened was he came back to me um, and said, you know, hey, this is great, a much better place with our finances, but we're now ready to go and market this record. We've got a single, we want to we want to start working it. Can you connect me with SoundScan so that they can get my record on the radio? <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> So, so for for everybody's benefit, uh, SoundScan is a company that measures sales and streams. Now they have nothing to do with promoting your record at radio is there. They have nothing at all to do with each other. And so I had this moment where I was like, wow, here's a guy who is willing to spend three quarters of a million dollars. He's got real resources. And that was his understanding of how the business worked. And he was actually trying to learn. You know, he was really out here trying. And I was like, well, let me put some things together to help him and some other people. And that was really how the music business toolbox was born was I was like, here are things that in the various uh, parts of the business that I've worked, I put them all together. So I said, hey, if you are going to commercially release your music, here are the things that you need to know. And initially it started out as just like what's the difference between uh, uh, you know, SoundScan and uh, BDS and uh, Media Guide and uh, you know, or Media Base and and uh, some of these other some of these other systems. And uh, it start it grew from that. And I started putting together not just the guidance on how you commercially release your music and how do you build the team around you and who the people are and what they're supposed to do. Um, but, uh, also the tools that you need to execute. So it's things like templates and forms for, uh, all that you're going to be doing to, to manage your, uh, your release and your career. So it's, um, a template for uh, a marketing plan, business plans and one sheets and release schedules. Um, it's, it's the, uh, uh, budgeting tools that you need to create uh, a realistic budget for marketing your record and developing your touring and doing your recording and, you know, just all of these other things. It's a, it's a, like 30 or so individual tools that kind of help you with, with all of those things. And in terms of the guidance, I wanted to sort of strip out the, the things that weren't necessary, they weren't actionable. So while, while you and I might have a, a, a conversation about, you know, what are the royalty rates and are they fair and, you know, uh, you know, discuss elements of copyright law, an artist who's trying to get his record out next week is not interested in those conversations. They want to know what they need to do to get fans, uh, get, get their attention to fans and generate revenue and get their record out. And, and manage the process. And so that's everything that I focus on. So it's very action oriented. This is a book, right? It's a book and it's also a set of tools. That's right. Yeah. How much is it? It is uh, $50 for a, a subscription for the year to give you access to all the tools and the book you can download and keep it forever. And there's also some other stuff that uh, you can use, even if you just sign up for free. So I've got a resource guide in there. So when you are deciding, you, okay, you need a company to do email marketing, 
So I've got, you can go to the section and there's a list of companies that you can, uh, that you can use for email. You need a, uh, a digital aggregator or distributor. There's a list of distributors and uh, aggregators. You uh, need to sign up with the PRO, a performing rights organization. There's lists of them there. So, and I've got all of those kinds of things that are also a part of it. Sounds like a big bargain for 50 bucks. Boy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're big on, on numbers and demographics. I'm curious who is the biggest consumer of this product? And I'm more curious, is it songwriters? Is it artists? Because sometimes I'm always surprised at who wants some of the offerings that I have. You know, it's aimed at one place and it goes to another, you know, or it's more attractive to another. So I'm just curious if that's happened to you too. Yeah, it really, it has been. It's been interesting that it's the bulk of it is, the DIY artist who's trying to put their record out soon. That's the, that's the majority of the people who've, uh, who, who've signed up to, to use it and to read the book. But I've also had the, the, probably the market that I is bigger than I expected. There are a lot of entertainment lawyers who <laughs> have got it, um, which I, I think is because a lot of them will, you know, they may understand, you know, some of the specifics around, you know, terms of agreements, but just kind of like where the rubber meets the road and on how records are released and what that process is, it helps them understand the process a little bit better. So that's been uh, interesting to, to, to see them and have actually a number of them tell me that it's been really helpful. Boy, I'll say, I mean, that, that's quite a feather. Because if anybody was going to come down hard on it, <laughs> it would be those guys, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Yeah, no, they've been, they've, they've, I found them to be really very, very supportive and, and recommending to their clients to, to get it. So that's been really, that's also been like very nice. Oh, that's awesome, Brian. Okay, you seem to do a lot. You're consulting and you're working with, with indie artists and, and you're working with distributors and labels What's the most fun thing that you do? Man, what an awesome question. Let me think. You know what? So I feel very fortunate that I have some really, really amazing clients that I get to work with. Um, I've been, I work with, uh, so Lil Wayne, Nicki Minaj, G-Eazy, Jill Scott, The Roots are some of the big household name artists that I, that I, have the opportunity to work with and uh the roots do some really cool fun stuff uh they have like this grammy party that's super super fun that's that's all that's a that's a blast to go to uh they just did this amazing live stream of uh with a with um with Erica Badu and Bilal and uh, Robert Glasper and Shaka Khan and with the with the with the Dallas Orchestra mm. and like going being a part of that and that show was just absolutely amazing. Um, you know, you know, I feel very fortunate that I have the opportunity to go to the Grammys and I've been a number of times, and I've gotten so much joy out of taking people who haven't and otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to go. Mm, yeah. Like there's a kid that I mentor and I remember taking him and I, I sort of made this deal with him when he went to college. I was like, look, as long as you keep your grades up, I'll, t- I'll take you. And so he, he was making his grades and I kept up my end of the bargain and took him and 
he had so much fun. <laughs> it just it was just, it just made it great for me. And then I took my sister uh, one year, and that, my my wife. I took my wife last year, and so I, that is a absolute blast is taking people who don't necessarily have access to some of those things to to it and I, I just I just feel super super fortunate that I get to go to lots of like really cool events on a regular basis and see amazing performers uh, it's just yeah, it's really really awesome I feel I feel really glad that when I when I, when I look back on that uh, that internship at Bell South that I was like yeah this isn't for me I'm really glad I made the decision <laughs> yeah yeah right 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 <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting what I find, I speak at a lot of colleges and I'm sure you do too. One of the things that I find is you look around at a class and you can see, okay, that guy's going to do it. That girl's going to do it. And oh man, yeah. I mean, there's some shining stars that kind of jump out and the rest don't. But yes. what I realized is sometimes you go to school, not to learn what to do, but to learn what not to do. And that's just as important as any, anything else. I mean, you, you had a gig and that showed you what you didn't want to do, you know, which is the same thing. You know, sometimes people get it earlier in, in school, but that's really important. You have to find that out. Yeah. And, and also the, the, uh, the extracurricular activities, because I mean, working with the university union, which was the division that brought the concerts to the school for students and working at the radio station, like those two things were more important than any one class that I had over the course of, you know, my four years as, as an undergraduate student, they were incredibly valuable to me. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Okay. Last question, Brian, you've actually already answered this, but maybe you might want to elaborate a little bit or, or go in a different direction. What's the best piece of business advice that someone imparted to you or which you told me already, or is there something that you learned along the way that you found that was really important? Yes. Yeah, so the, so the biggest mistake that I see artists make is allocating all their money to record and then not, uh, uh, you know, saving any to market, uh, understanding how money flows is super important. Um, really, really, really big, uh, really understanding how the money flows through the industry of your choice, gaining, getting a a real understanding. And and there is a, uh, it's great. It's a great time now to have access to information. Of course, the music business toolbox, I think is a great source. Uh, but there are just so many places where you can access information now. You know, I, I remember when, you know, again, going back and, you know, when I was in college where there was access to information was not nearly as um, readily available. And, you know, I remember being a broke college student going to the magazine stand and reading billboard cover to cover at the magazine stand because I couldn't afford to buy <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I hear <laughs> and, and now, And now you just pull out your phone and you can, you know, read information from experts on, uh, you know, all, all over the place. But be careful about where you get your information from. Sometimes it can be a bit tricky because people have – um, ulterior motives with respect to some of the stuff that they're writing. So there are a good number of, uh, of places that you can go and, and get good information and be armed with that information so that you can make the, the right decisions for yourself in your current situation. 
To find out more about Brian and the Music Business Toolbox, go to musicbusinesstoolbox.com. That's musicbusinesstoolbox, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyownercircle.com, or find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, and Google Play. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.